listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode. We've got Bill the Lender on here to talk all questions and all answers regarding lending. He's a knowledgeable lender. It's actually Jenny's go-to lender. Jenny, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing very good. So the title, Bill the Lender. Who is Bill the Lender? Bill the Lender. So we have Bill Rodriguez with us. Um, oh, he has a last name. Yes, actually. he does have a last <laughs> okay. name. Okay. Um, and he works with Cornerstone Home Lending, and he's been an amazing um, person to work with, just both personally, like he's he's helped us uh, refinance our personal home, many rental properties we have with him, and then he's been just completely invaluable to a lot of our clients that, uh, especially down in Colorado Springs, everyone loves working with Bill. So uh, Appreciate that. yeah, he's just been great to to have on our team for sure. And I don't know, there, it's it's the clients like work with him, sort of the agents, yes. because us as agents, like lenders that can get the job done and help us get to the finish line. Exactly. And uh, your name comes up as one of the great lenders to work with. So I love to hear that. Yeah. So That's we, what it's we, all about. We appreciate. So thank you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, I mean, Bill, just give us a quick rundown on just your background and just, you know, how you got into lending. Just a quick, quick bio about Bill. So, uh, actually was, uh, came to Colorado in 99 and started out in the telecom industry. Cause that's where my, uh, father was a sort of, uh, start out. He helped me get a job in that industry. And that was, you know, 99 was like, dot-com bubble bursting and it was kind of stressful to be in corporate america during that time and and that industry just went through so many waves of you know management changes and consolidation and these types of things and i kind of looked at uh getting out of that because i literally watched my father uh retire from that industry but it was an early retirement it was a pat on the back and a gold watch and you know ushered out the door and I was looking for something to, I was good with numbers and I was sort of looking uh, for something to, to, when the blue chips were down, what could I get into that was fairly stable? And obviously, as you guys know, you know, real estate sort of buoyed the market back then and it mm-hmm. continues to do so now. And that's what kind of got me into it. And so I started as a, as a broker. I've been now in the industry, made it a career of last 17 years. So it's just been a wild ride, you know, through 2008 and so many changes and ups and downs and, you know, going from being a broker to now being licensed. I mean, there's just been a lot of changes. So when you say you talk about being a broker going licensed, what do you mean? So, I mean, you know, we were broker. on, yeah, we were okay. unregulated before, you know, 2008 happened and then, uh, we all had to get licensed and bonded oh, and insured. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I was not in real estate back then. Yeah, back, you know, I mean, it was the wild, wild west, you know. <laughs> and then after 2008, um, we all had to get licensed. And, you know, there was, if you were a broker, you were kind of thinking, well, do I go to the banks? Do I, do I, if you can't beat them, join them type of a deal? Because, you know, as a broker, you kind of shied away from U.S. banks and the Wells Fargo's and the big chases and stuff. Yeah, because you didn't have the flexibility. Um, but I think during that time, you kind of considered that because they had dealt with the FDIC. So, as a broker, since we had never had to be regulated, uh, we didn't quite 
know where to go. So I took a small stint in community banking there for a while, thinking that that was going to be the be all end all, and then just ended up back at mortgage banking because do one thing, do do it well. All right. So Jen, I know you got a list of questions that you've kind of aggregated from our clients. So yeah. you take the lead. Yeah. We'll just kind of dig in and we'll see where it takes us. All right. Let's do it. So you're an investor yourself. Yeah. So that is definitely a huge asset to clients who, who work with you because you understand kind of, you know, marrying up the investment world with what they're looking for. And then of course, being on top of regulations and all that good stuff. So, um, can you maybe describe a couple, couple programs that I know that you've gotten some house hackers into, and then, you know, we've had some people that did, you know, larger multifamilies. Can you just kind of maybe talk about some of the highlights that you've seen over the last couple months with, with our clients? Sure. I mean, I think there's a distinct advantage. I mean, if, if, you know, you're sort of entering the market um, as a new investor, if you're willing to live in a property, um, you know, for, you know, two years or more, you're, you know, escaping cap gain on multifamily, you're putting less down, you can, you know, uh, sort of weigh in and, and, and schedule your updates to the property over a longer period of time. I mean, those are, those are the real big ones in terms of, um, helping people sort of get into places for less. Um, otherwise it's just really being competitive and in the market and offering, you know, great weights and flexible terms. I mean, um, you can put on an investment single family, you know, 15% down, um, I, I think one of the advantages that we have is we really help people sort of understand the cost benefit. So if you want to put less down, you know, you're going to pay higher rates and fees. How does that affect your ROI? And we help them sort of take a look at that, compare all the programs side by side and and see what makes the most sense. But it's really a strategy game at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's stuff out there. I mean, you know, there was a little bit of a market shift, uh, this year where we saw rates sort of be all over the place, but you know, we're still remaining competitive. Great. So I, I want to actually, I'm gonna pick your brain on this because you, this is one of my favorite topics. I like looking at myself and we talk with clients, you, you alluded to, you know, Hey, you, you know, tra- trade-offs, you put less down, mm-hmm. less money out of pocket, but usually, you know, might be more points and higher fees. Right. Give everyone like a general overview about that. And what is your personal preference? You more like, hey, max out leverage and pay a little higher fees or kind of what's your personal opinion and how you, you attack it? That's hard to say because the the there there's just a lot happening in the markets right now where, you know, people's ap- appetite, depending upon, you know, some of the changes with the FHFA, people getting penalized for putting less down. Uh, it depends on where you are at in the day. You kind of just have to sort of price it out in the market, see where rates are at. So if you, and, I, and, and by the way, if you've got the cash, I, I like 20 to 25% cause it's, you know, 25% down, you're getting sweet rates and, and you were looking at buy and hold. So longer term, you're going to make more money. Um, but you know, if you're just trying to get into the game and it still makes sense, then you may look at less cash. I think everybody's situation is unique and that's where we kind of come in and sort of personalize it. 
you know, really take a look at what's needed for them. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. I, I've, I've found that um, when I first started investing, I was more on the 15% down side of things. And now I'm getting to more, I'd rather just put 25%. Yeah. I mean, if you've got the cash, the yeah, yeah. you can find the cash. I think it, over the long term, it yeah. makes more sense. Well, for the record, I'm still in a 15% camp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. It's each its own. Yeah. This is why it's so great to have like, you know, lending partners that, you know, they know the investing and sit down. Hey, great. There, there is no right or wrong answer. Yep. Right. What is your goal? What's, What's your, your comfort risk tolerance? Level? What's this? Well, all this stuff. And it's there. It's, it's always unique. Right. And that's, that's great. Yeah. And then something that Chris and I were talking about recently was always find the lenders first, the deal second. Don't find the deal. Oh my God, I lender. love you. So, <laughs> so it was a topic of conversation that we had. So something that I really appreciate with you as a lender is that, and to be frank, is that you've never dropped the ball on any of our, on our transactions um, within our team. So thank you for that. But then I think that speaks a lot to your, your process as well. So maybe you could kind of describe a little bit about how you guys go about that. Yeah. So the, I mean, I think we're really unique in the sense that um, we're trying to uh, get every client who's uh, willing to give us all their documentation up front, um, pre-approved within 72 hours and ready to close within 10 days. So that's our 10 day ready program. And that's really powerful in a market like this um, because it helps our clients compete uh, same as cash. So we're removing all of the finance contingencies except for your basic big three. So, you know, that's going to be your inspection issues, related issues, appraisal related issues, and any defects in title. So, you know, it gives people a lot more confidence knowing that all the legwork, any problems have been identified up front, they've been handled. And uh, then when we go, you know, as the local lender calling the listing agent, we just have just a ton of confidence to sell these guys as hard as we can and then share about our 10-day ready program. So talk a little bit more, what is, what is the 10-day ready program? Like, like, Go a little more context on there, yeah, yeah, and then and then compare it to because I think I know what it is, but I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know the details of it, so I don't want to assume. Yeah, yeah. So what it is and how it kind of compares to normal industry standards. So you know, I mean, I'm seeing 30 day close is your standard contract. Yep. A fast close in this market, you hear people saying 20 days was fast. 10 days is a lot faster. And the only reason that we're doing 10 is that, you know, there's a reg regulatory uh, rule that the customer needs at least seven days to review yeah. the documents, right, uh, for TRID. So the 10 days is just for um, literally turning an appraisal within 24 to 48 hours, which is also unheard of in this market. And then getting somebody all the way through the process and being reviewed by an underwriter so that you can literally close. Now, recognizing that you're talking about a standard, most times you're going to have somebody living in the property. So, you know, for your um, audience who are investors, you know, if it's a vacant property, this gives you a pretty distinct advantage because we can close in 10 days. So your 10-day ready program, you're... You're just, you're doing 
a more thorough pre-approval up front as part of it, or is that just your standard pre-approval? Then you have the option to just no. Close they're fast? they're already re- through underwriting. Okay, so they're ready to go. Okay, literally close from contract the day the contract gets accepted to close in ten days. And so, average, you know, scenarios is they're not going through underwriting before they go on contract. Is that what you're saying? Like the person. So, so as part of the logistics of the process in order to be qualified for the 10 day ready program, you really have to have sort of buy-in. So it's part of the client experience. You really have to have buy-in with the client to say, okay, we're going to help you get a distinct advantage in this market. In order to do that, we have to have this list of documentation, right? You've already had the take application. They provide that list from the time that they provide that list within 72 hours of that list, we've got them approved for a loan. And then once you find a house, then 10 days from there. Okay. I got a couple of really nuanced questions on there. All right, let's do it. So I'm assuming you're, you're like ordering a rushed appraisal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is that extra for the client then? So yeah, we prep okay. the we prep the client for that. So we, you know, Cornerstone has its own appraisal management company inside of Cornerstone, so it gives us that level of control. Okay, right. So we have a list of approved appraisers, uh, and then we sort of tiered the list, and then if they see it come through, then they know to turn it within twenty four to forty eight hours. Okay. So they have the heads up. So, but that's, you know, they're going to, you're going to charge a premium. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you want to make sense. Quickly, you pay for it. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's easy to sell in this market Yeah. because any advantage that you can give is a distinct advantage for the client. And they're usually on board. Does that apply to VA loans? Cause I know, I think VA appraisals are a different, that's a different thing. animal. Okay. Yeah. So, so you know, like your down payment assistance loans, uh, VA, because it's a separate process ordered by the VA, we're not going to be able to go 10 And VA right has their own appraisers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is really more for FHA conventional, the, the standard Correct. loan product. Okay, mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And to be clear about the 10-day also applies to multifamilies, because I know um, I had a client that, you know, his, his advantage- We were, what, 14 days on that one? Um, I think we're 17. Yeah. It was hard from a due diligence standpoint, but you guys are on it. So that was what helped him win the contract. He, he didn't have the highest offer. Right. Um, but because of the lending confidence, um, that's what the listing agent told me. So yeah, we get that a lot actually. Yeah. Yeah. And and the seller wanted it gone because he had a 1031 ladder. So Mm. yeah, it was, Fast and furious, but um, it all it all came together. Not afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Not afraid. Not afraid at all. The other thing you mentioned there, Bill, um, you you made a comment from Insco that you talk to people and you know that you know they you're coming as a, as a local lender versus a big national lender. Mm-hmm. What's that dynamic like when you know someone's talking to a listing agent who's selling? Why why is the listing agent and the seller more than talking to you know Bill, the local lender? versus, you know, Tom from Wells Fargo or whatever. Well, I, you know, I think it's without, you know, bashing competition, I think it's it's it really is confidence. If they have an experience, we we have a great brand here in Colorado. Um 
just Cornerstone, you know, pretty much Longmont North, we have like a 73% market penetration because we have so many. Holy smokes, it's really? It's huge, wow. huge. Because if you're not bumping into Cornerstone Retail, then you're bumping into um, one of our other brands, which is our joint ventures with Oakwood Homes, which is Nest Home Lending. Okay. Um, the Group, which is a huge, you know, oh, everybody, know everybody owns the group. They're one of our biggest joint ventures with the group mortgage. That's us too. So people are just bumping us into us everywhere. And, and they may or may not know it, but if they've had an experience working with Cornerstone, they and you get a call and you say, hey, listen, we're going to run through the gamut. And, and you can tell a good listing agent. They know what questions to ask. And as long as you're saying, hey, look, this has already been through underwriting. We've already verified the assets. We've checked the credit. We're ready to roll. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, the thing that makes the difference. Answer my question. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess... We can shift gears a little bit to kind of topical questions, if, if that works for you. All right, let's do it. Um, so a couple months ago, FA came uh, down with a restriction yeah. on investment loans. Can you explain to everyone what what that was, what it means to investors, kind of? Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, so I did a lot of research out there. There's a lot of misinformation in terms of what this actually means. It, it it, when you read through it on the web, it sounds like a cap almost like you get to the 7% and Fannie and Freddie are just going to stop accepting loans, which is just not true. Um, but what it does mean, I think long-term, even though we, we haven't seen this sort of in the marketplace yet is that there's going to be higher rates and fees, um, to investors. Um, so, you know, Mortgage companies, as they deliver loans, if they're over that 7% in terms of what they deliver, including second homes, which I think was a surprise to some folks, um, if you're over that 7%, then there's going to be like this adverse market fee we saw with refinances that the CFPB just repealed. It's going to be something like that. There's going to be an additional you know, charge and it's going to, you know, maybe a higher rate, it may be higher fees for the same rate. So I just want to clarify. So this is from the, the FHFA mm -hmm. rules change. And you mentioned 7% because they went down from, they would only the, take a certain amount of investment loans and second home loans. Mm -hmm. It was in the teens. I don't remember exactly okay. what it was, but they almost halved it. Yeah. Essentially. So it was like around 14. They were up to right. seven from. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then from there, so you're saying is it, it's not 7% just across to markets, 7% from like Cornerstone, 7% from Jenny Lending, 7% or how does. So if you're above, if you're a mortgage lender and you deliver over 7% of your portfolio to market, to the secondary market, then you're going to have to factor in additional costs to deliver okay. those loans. And you know what happens anytime there's additional costs well, to a more passed along. That's exactly right. Anytime these changes get made, they get passed along to the consumer. Wow, that's that's the way the world works. Right. Um so have you seen this happen, I think in March or April is when they Right, that's when they announced it. Okay. Yeah. Um from like a, a data impact, like, you know, hey, one of our clients goes over, you know, they, let's say they bought a place in February, now they're buying a place in June, mm -hmm. you know, before and after this this announcement. Same properties, same down payment terms, you know, 25% down payment on a single family home or whatever, whatever it is. 
what's the difference in rate, interest rate, and or difference in um, like, you know, like points up front? It's hard to say because, I mean, one of the things that you guys from April to June, I don't know if you guys noticed, but rates were all over the place depending upon the lender. And yeah. that it, to get specific, you have to get specific to the lender to get specific to how much they're delivering as part of their pool to get specific to their cost of doing business. So it's really hard to say. Can we you get know? specific to Cornerstone? Uh, or is that a little too? Is that, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's, I know you can't like say rates and stuff. I know there's like rules around yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it, that's a harder question to ask. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you that now that things have calmed down, anytime you rile the markets, there's going to be a reaction. Things are going to go crazy. We like stability because uh, it factors into the cost of doing business. Oh, yeah. So... So now that things have sort of calmed down and, you know, we've changed some leadership with the CFPB, you know, Mark Calabria is gone. They're talking about doing now a bipartisan committee to run the CFPB, which so there are a lot of these changes have sort of settled down a bit and we're seeing things calm down in terms of cost. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it there. Okay. So I've said something like something for people to be aware of. Yeah. I mean, but. When I bought my property with other clients, like it's nothing significant that it no longer made sense to buy the property, mm -hmm. cost a few more dollars. Mm -hmm. But you're saying even from that initial like kind of knee jerk reaction, the market overall has it's starting down to in calm terms down. Of, like, points and fees. Yeah, I mean, I, okay. I well, I mean, I, I was pricing out uh, an investment. It was single family investment property, and it was still like three and a half with no points. And oh, that wow. was, yeah, that was just a week or so ago. I mean, the market shifted since then, but my point being is that wasn't pop, that wasn't possible, you know, two months ago. Yeah. I mean, you were comfortably, you know, in the low fours. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, that's very helpful yeah. and just kind of interesting to yeah. see the, you know, what was thought to be an impact versus actuality. So that, that was really good context. Um, so the punchline is it's not as a big deal as everyone thought it was five months ago. Is that yeah? I mean, and simple message. I can take and, yeah, and okay. and now that we're starting to see sort of a regime change, I mean, hopefully it becomes po more policy friendly. I mean, we're already yeah. starting to see some repeals of the adverse market refinance fee, as an example, because that was made the industry pretty hot and heavy. You know, angry. Yeah, I didn't know they were. That's the they were charging like a half point premium, right? Right. So they're repealing that now. That's gone. Oh, oh I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When did that go? Uh, last month. Oh. All right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know we were talking a little bit before, um, before we started recording about the impact of forbearance, mm -hmm. and it's a really interesting, um, kind of spillover effect or non-effect really is kind of the the summary of that but i was wondering if you could maybe dig into that a little bit yeah um i certainly can i think that the the forbearance numbers were really really scary during the pandemic you know they got really high um and there was just a lot of concern i think th what we're seeing now over time is that those numbers have come down pretty significantly um and we actually have some some stuff that we can look at. Colorado specific. Should uh, I start pulling that up? Yeah, if you want. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah that, no, I thought this this was a phenomenal resource. So that is yeah. There you go. So you can plug in the state there, 
And uh, so we got Colorado selected. Yeah. So so one of the big markers for um, whether or not a, a, a homeowner may be in trouble of making their continuing to make their payments is this 30 to 89 days delinquent um, sort of stat there. And you can see that in comparison <laughs> from January of 2008, which is sort of our last big you know, issue, uh, 2020, we're down to less than 1% in Colorado. So, uh, one of the other things that I took a look at is if, how many, you know, units or homes we have in Colorado, it's 2.4 million and some change. So if 1% of that came to the market, um, let's say all 1% came to the market. I mean, when you look at the next slide, which is the, um, so start you threw all the numbers here. So there's 2.4 million homes in Colorado. Uh-huh. 1% of 2.4 million. So it's a 24, 24 grand. Yeah, 24,000 24, homes. 24,000. Then you look at, you know, what we're currently looking at, even being down 5.9%, you're still looking at what? So 14,000 homes. So less than two months of inventory hitting the market if they all hit the market. So that's not even a dent. Like it's not going to undercut. I think a lot of people are like, "Should I buy now? Can we?" Sustain oh, they're waiting this? for the wave of foreclosures. Ooh, exactly, and they're all looking at these numbers and going, "When's it going to happen?" And you're just not seeing it. Yeah. You know, even Jenny May, they were at what ten percent, and that's FHA and VA, and now they're down to like six percent nationally. So even in if, terms of delinquency, mm-hmm. okay. So now if well, in terms of forbearance, that's we're not going into delinquency rates. Those, those, those I haven't actually pulled those stats. We might want to take a look at that. At some Sorry, point. what's the difference? So forbearance is they deferred the payments. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Right. Delinquency is they've gone through their forbearance period. Now they're still not making payments. Okay. So these stats, though, are they capturing people that have a negative equity situation opposed to someone who could just if they're in a, a sticky situation, they could sell their home and still walk away. Um, That's harder to do. Okay. I mean, the one thing that I will say in terms of the stats that I've seen is that we have more equity than ever. It's like on average nationally, like 30% equity. So the majority of the people that are in forbearance, they have some room to tack it on the back end and get out of it or do a mod or something, which is why I think these numbers are so much lower than what people thought Hmm. interesting but it's not the catastrophic undercut of the market that i think people are waiting for yeah and that's what i think the message is there because even if like i said if that whole wave hit i mean okay that's what two months we said of inventory colorado wide Mm -hmm. i mean six months inventory is like a balanced market it's a balanced market and that would probably include fha and, and va that would be both hitting the market. The thing which fascinates me, you mentioned like negative, negative equity. Even someone bought a 0% down VA last year. Mm-hmm. A year and a half later, forbearance is gone. They're delinquent. Their house has probably gone up, what, conservatively 5 to 15%, maybe yeah. a little higher. Like mm-hmm. you yeah. can still sell it, pay fees. Walk away. Walk away a with a few bit. bucks. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the one thing I'm, I like. I just, yeah, I don't see the wave of foreclosures yeah. based on the data and just how crazy the market's been. Mm-hmm. And right? yeah, it's just, I, what Colorado Springs at, is at like two weeks of inventory. So oh, that two, high, huh? yeah, two weeks plus two months. So, I mean, that's, wow. that's not even enough to really change pricing, you know? So 
Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I have a really random question for you, Bill, uh-huh. and you can defer this or I don't know if it's appropriate or not, but um, does Cornerstone, do they do their own like loan servicing? So, y- yes. So actually, I can't actually talk about this. Okay. And we're actually really excited because oh, okay. Cornerstone, as of January, uh, just announced that they, uh, so we service our own loans, but we have sub-servicers uh, like Dover Mule, and those are some of the and biggest sorry, ones. Explain servicing first. So, I, so, I so you're, you're, you're contracting to, to collect payments, but you still have a note holder, which would be like cornerstone, but the, the administrative piece is, is, is contracted out. Okay. Cornerstone has actually announced it come January. We're going to do all of our own servicing and we're building a servicing facility in Denver. It's going to be like 200 jobs coming to Denver. Yeah. Okay. So it's really exciting. And so I don't know if you know these, these stats, but I remember this was last year when all the forbearance stuff came out. I remember, you know, a lot of loan servicers, like there was fear that they were the ones going to get pinched. Like, hey, the loan servicer still has to pay the investor who's holding the note. But if the the borrower, the homeowner, have to pay, did you guys see any like wonkiness or any like stats that were different or similar to like what we're talking about here in terms of like just servicing loans or? That was a, we actually did during the COVID times, we did a whole presentation just talking about helping people understand the servicing platforms and why things dry up. Like, you know, because there's so many servicers that they're purchasing a servicing platform for a fixed percentage. But if those folks aren't making their payments, then that gets devalued. Yeah. And so these servicers were having margin calls on their companies and they have to raise capital overnight. It was a nightmare Mm. because, you know, like you're saying, the government's decided that people don't have to make their mortgage payment to keep them in their homes, which is a good idea, but the note holder still has to get paid and it's the servicer's responsibility to continue to make those payments. So it was, it's, it's still created quite the tumult and that side of the industry for sure. Okay. And, and, but the markets it's, it's well, I mean, it's why we're bringing it's, it's it balanced yeah, down or, or calm down enough. It's starting to calm down now them extending the foreclosure moratorium and things and extending that forbearance till the 30th of September doesn't necessarily help, but um, I haven't heard as much about that side of the market. You're doing good with our curveballs, Bill. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> So, and then, of course, the million-dollar question, inflation. Ah, uh, yeah. So... The arch enemy of interest rates. Yeah, can you... It's the kryptonite. Can you, can you give everyone just context as to what would happen in that case? Well, which which part? So I, mean, I guess we'll start with the happy part. If someone already has a loan. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll go into a, kind of the change in that. So, you know, obviously with... Um, the market downturn, um, there's a, an opportunity to keep rates low, keep things moving, keep people buying homes because that industry has t- traditionally kept the markets afloat. Um, so um, monetary policy, which I can't really talk too much about in terms of the Federal Reserve, but just they're stepping in. There's so much monetary uh, massaging, we'll call it, that really rates should be a lot higher than they are. Um, and then you've got now the fact that we're, you know, 
trying to stimulate the economy. We're sort of printing money to put it back in the hands of the street. There's, you know, a labor shortage, which is inflationary. There's gas prices, which are inflationary. So there's a lot of inflationary pressures right now that, you know, we're not really seeing because there's so much market manipulation. So it's kind of hard to really gauge where we should be because where we should be is certainly a lot higher than we are. So for those of us that have primaries in the twos, which I would say at this point, a lot of people people have done, is that free money? Is it, you know, is the loan being, I guess, uh, a lesser burden with each passing year in in terms of... I mean, when you consider where you could get money and where you can get it now, I mean, there is an element of like, when are you going to... What are going to be the circumstances where this is ever going to occur again? I mean, I've been saying that for years, though. (laughs) Do you see any scenarios on interest rates dropping... Lower? Lower than... I mean, no, I think what... I think last year was like the all-time low, maybe. Like, you know, right, even right now, it's still very, very low. Like, do you see them dropping, like, significantly lower? Because I've heard one, oh, we could go negative, like, you know, Denmark or parts of Europe did. Like, do you see any realistic scenarios on that happening? Um, I do see rates going lower. I don't see them going negative because, you know, and again, I, I can't comment too much on that because it's a little air, area of, out of my expertise. But um, I would say that um, the folks... MBS Highway is some of the folks that I listen to, Barry Habib. Some of those guys really think that once all of the um, uh, inflationary pressures of all of the stimulus and everything work its way through the economy, we can get people coming back to work and wage pressure goes down and these types of things that we may see lower rates coming. Really? Yeah. I mean, mean, also... You know, I think um, a lot of people are sort of adjusting their outlooks to say um, if there's a a recession around the corner, which there may be, um, typically rates trend lower during those times. So um, will they ever get down to as low as they were? I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, we're sort of in uncharted territory. It's really, really hard to say. Yeah. Yeah, it's just interesting to me. I mean, it, my I can't even wrap my head around it. I guess how how complicated it is, but it's just you know you figure rental properties. Our clients are getting them in the threes. Are they getting a return better than three? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know to be able to lock in a thirty year fixed and put that in an appreciating asset with you know obviously costs are going to go up too, but so are. Yeah. So it's the income side of things. It's just really interesting to to think about that from a long term perspective as to like how less burdensome um, today's interest rates will be for for us in the future. Right. And that eventually someday rates will rise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll eventually be right. <laughs> eventually. <laughs> um. So I'm going to change gears here. I got a couple other questions for you. Since we, we started talking some investment loans here, we get this a lot, Jenny. LLC versus personal name when it comes to investment loans. And that gets into a weird area with, with you know, lending. But talk about that, you know, just how that works. And, and we get that question. I want to hear your answer to that question as well. 
Well, I mean, when you're looking at traditional financing from Fannie or Freddie, they just don't allow it. That's the one thing. It has to be in your personal name. It has to be in your personal name. They don't make business loans as considered a commercial loan from their standpoint. Um, from that standpoint, too, if you're you if you've used one of those loans and then maybe you've decided to transfer it into a business name, you need to make sure that before you do that, that you review the terms of your loan because there could be considered a sale to the business and there is a due on sale clause and they could call that due. Have you seen over your, I mean, you know, almost 20 years experience, have you seen many instances where that's triggered the due on sale clause? I haven't personally, but I'm sure there are. But you're also probably out of that, Right. Kind of that part of the equation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I imagine know. if rates started to rise again, yeah. that that could be a, a, a worry to some, right? Because, well, yeah. Or there are higher default rates, you know. I mean, I think, you know, people will likely more default on their rentals before they lose their primary. Right? Oh, I, sure. if I had to need, always need a place to live. Yeah. If I had to pick between my primary and paying my rental, my primary is going to, Win every month over my rental because that's that's where my family is. Right. Yeah. So that's that's where you may get into trouble. Interesting. So what you know we this actually incur, circles back around to the uh, what you call it the your your ten day what you call it your ten day ready ready program. And I mean Jenny's quote was good. I, I loved it. Find a lender first, the deal second. So when someone comes to you for lending, which is usually kind of at the bottom of what people's favorite thing to do on their to-do list is. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> nothing personal I love it. Yeah. Um, but like, what can people do to be like, you know, uh, be, a, you know, be a good candidate for lending yeah. and just be prepared and just be efficient and get the job done and minimize curveballs and headaches for everyone downstream? Well, I mean, it really does. I mean, in this market, you have to sort of vet everything up front. I think it's critical for you to talk to a good local a lender that has a great reputation that can get the job done and then give you the level of comfort and the expertise to sort of guide you on what strategy, help you know how much you qualify for. And then, you know, if you're specifically, if you're self-employed, I mean, what people don't realize is that CPAs and, and, and lenders are actually diametrically opposed on, on either side of sort of the financial service related piece of this where, you know, CPAs are constantly trying to maximize your, uh, uh, tax benefits and write-offs and these th types of things. And a mortgage loan officer is trying to squeeze every dime they can out of your tax return to help you qualify for whatever it is that you're trying to do. So, you know, thinking of it more like a panel of uh, financial, uh, you know, advisors to sort of um, consult together and talk about, okay, so how do we maximize the amount of write-offs so that we're not paying more than we need to, but we have what we need to, to be able to execute on what we're trying to do. So we actually recommend for self-employed borrowers, if you're planning on making a move within the next 12 to 24 months, that you actually get us in, engaged early so that you can either scale up your income. So you're paying 
you know, less taxes over a period of time, or we can help you come down to the penny of how much you need to pay and you can prepare for that in the budgeting of your business and still do what you want. And then the other side is, you know, financial planners, right? A lot of times, um, these borrowers are sophisticated. They've got money coming from multitude of sources. Sometimes it's qualified funds. Sometimes it's liquid funds. Sometimes it's equity from other properties. And the documentation around sourcing funds to close is like the number one place where it just drives people crazy. Because depending upon what they've got flowing into their business account or whatever, and I mean, if it's a certain percentage over their income, we've got to source all those deposits. So if you're working with the financial planner and you can schedule that one transfer, even if it's from multiple accounts, now I've got all the sourcing documentation, it streamlines the process and makes it less of a headache for everybody involved. You said some great stuff in there, especially for like self-employed people, because we have a lot of people, they get you know tripped up by that or they're making transition from their W-2 now into more like an investor or another career mm-hmm. and you know self-employed is a whole different beast there so totally. i will completely iterate that yes if the sooner you talk to a lender the better regardless but if you're self-employed even the better because what you talked about with you know maximizing your you know <laughs> tax returns i learned that my first business years ago oh cool like they know write it all off right great <laughs> but then no one will give me the time of day but i said like, no i make money i was like no you make like you know this amount every year it's not much i was like oh and it was just eye-opening to me mm-hmm. and you know that it took a couple of years for me to get things refigured out right yeah so that's great advice yeah so but if i talk to you sooner and you pull my credit won't you pulling your my credit ruin my chance of getting a loan in six months then or well no months. so you know if it's if it's a financial consultation and we're just reviewing the tax returns i don't need to pull your credit okay. a lot of times these sophisticated bars they know what their scores are they're monitoring their credit they 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 know what's up um if there's a question and we need to sometimes we'll even come in on the front end and say okay so these are the types of things that you could do to maximize your fico score even you know you know that's more in the first time home buying market a lot. I think you see that more than you do with, you know, your audience, but um, we can do that as well. I mean, we're not giving advice. We're actually working with a third party to run their credit analyzers and their algorithms basically make recommendations. And then we share those recommendations with the client and they choose to execute. But um we find that we can really help folks if we get in as early as we can to sort of help them understand the pitfalls. Great. Very great. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a little consultation. Yeah. You know, check a checkup. Value to people. That's yeah. kind of where we sort of, it's the same thing. You guys have a consultative process. Yep. That's why we get along. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you gotta, that's how you build a relationship, help people out, and then you, you put the plan in place. Right. Because you buy a property today, it's usually months or a year or two of planning before to get things lined up. Mm-hmm. So, those are all the questions that kind of I jotted down. I think I stole some off your list too, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what other questions do you have? I don't know. I mean, this is very, very enlightening. Yeah. Um, is there anything that has come out recently that, we should be aware of um, as investors, as loan holders? Oh, well, there was that 
um, there was a, a pool for institutional investors, I think, to apply for funds for their tenants who were affected by COVID. They set aside some funds to help those folks. So that might be interesting. I gave you guys a link. Maybe you can put it in the show notes. Um, Is that for people with the federally CFPB, backed yeah, mortgages? That's all. Well, yeah, that's all. Okay. Uh, Freddie, Fannie and Freddie. So it's FHFA. Um, so things like that. Um, big overarching changes. Well, I mean, we, we'll see. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, it's always fun in the mortgage industry. You never know what's around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know something that we recently encountered. There was um, uh, post-closing occupancy restrictions. Um, so maybe you could go into that on that one deal that we had where... Fanny had one rule and Freddie had another rule about the rate. Oh, you have to remind me. Which one was that? Uh, they had a post-closing occupancy for two oh, months. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yes. I don't remember exactly the deal, though. Um, I know that we had to... What did we have to do with that one? It was just recently. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I can't remember. Okay, but yeah. always changing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> always, always changing. So I'm gonna have to think about that one. Hmm. Don't worry. Once we hit stop, it'll come back. Yeah, <laughs> okay, right. That's, that's the way it works. Um, no, Bill, this this has been great. It's I mean, great to meet you in person here. Um, obviously, your wealth of information, and you took our curveballs with stride. You're really knowledgeable, much more knowledgeable than the average LO out there. So thank you. What's a good way for people to get a hold of you? Um, well, I mean, my website, um, it's www.rodriguezhouseloans.com. Pretty easy to remember. Um, my phone number is 303-877-6323. My email, brodriguez at houseloan.com. That's no S on that one. Um, and then we are on Facebook. You can reach out to me, DM me there. Okay. Um, so we can follow up with some of that information. And well, of course, we'll put all these in the show notes as well. Cool. But I'm assuming you're more than happy. People want to talk to you, call you, email you, whatever. Just yeah, get we, in touch and you'll... Yeah, we, and, you'll... and we love the strategy piece. That consultation piece is, there's no obligation. It really is just about helping people understand what they can do and answering questions. I mean, obviously, we hope to earn the trust to do the business. Yeah, your whole team is so knowledgeable, so responsive. So I think that it puts a lot of um, fears and hesitations that people might have surrounding it's a you know a big thing to take out a loan for a couple hundred thousand dollars so sure. yeah i think that having someone on your side is is very helpful awesome yeah, all right appreciate we'll it. build a lender thank you <laughs> thank you guys appreciate you having me on the show all right and when you guys have questions reach out to us obviously reach out to bill we're here to help you out and we love doing it so have a great one everyone <laughs>